Kia ora and welcome to Beyond Consultation, a podcast that will help you in your public or community sector work to increase your impact by doing more than just ticking the box of consultation. I'm Paul McGregor from Business Lab, and we're interested in the mindsets and methods of people who are making a bigger impact by working collaboratively with communities, industries, and other organizations. Ma mihi mote Kia ora and welcome today. It's all about virtual meetings because let's face it folks, they are here to stay and I know you want them to be enjoyable and effective because there's all sorts of benefits if we make them work well. There's the environmental benefits from less travel, less fumes polluting in the atmosphere, the financial benefits from not having to hire expensive venues, you know, the wasted time and traffic. There's the social benefits as well. If we can really make these things work well, then it gives us a platform for more inclusive work environments. So there's all sorts of benefits, but that's only if you can make virtual meetings work well and I know for a lot of people they're just tiring and they can turn into lectures they're not vibrant people are muting themselves half of the people's videos are turned off they're tuned out it's difficult to make decisions together or make sense of what your work is it can be hard to read the room and you leave and you just don't get the feels. You don't have that vibe of when you've been kanohi kite kanohi, face to face with other people and building off their energy. If that sounds a little bit like your experience with virtual meetings, today's episode is here to help. I'm going to walk through the content for an ebook I've recently published called Virtually Productive. And I'm going to share with you one law and four principles from that book. So the law is the law of one device. And the four principles are first connect, contrast, structures for participation, and less is more. So if you want to facilitate virtual meetings that create change outside the meeting room, this episode is for you. In a recent training session that I ran on virtual meetings, I asked everybody, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that people make with virtual meetings? We had all sorts of suggestions. Some of them were pretty hilarious. I got pointed to a video of a judge in a courtroom who was tuning in by Zoom and his face was a cat. You know, there's been people who've forgotten that their video's on and they've gone to the bathroom. Yeah, okay, so we've got mistakes like that, but actually the biggest mistake that you can make with virtual meetings is not following what I call the law of one device. And the law is pretty simple. It says that if you want to have a good virtual meeting, do everything you can to have each participant tuning in on a separate device. To illustrate why this is so important, I want you to imagine this. Imagine you're going to a conference with four or five work colleagues. It's an in-person conference and you pull up in your van, you get out together and before you get into the venue, you handcuff yourselves to each other and you put paper bags over four of the six people's heads. And then you go, you wander in, and you register under one name, which is conference room 3.7, and you go and awkwardly crowd around one seat 
at one of the conference rooms tables and you try and participate like that for the rest of the conference. Now that's absurd. No one would ever do that. But that's what happens when people tune in with four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven people crowded around one video camera in the boardroom or the council chambers. And what happens there is the rest of the people who are tuning in can't see everybody. So, you know, it's like a couple of people have got paper bags over their heads, they're out of shot, and they can't hear everybody either. Some people are way away from the microphone. When you start trying to use some of the features that are in your video calling software, it just becomes really confusing. You can't use a lot of the interactive features. Say you might want to put up a poll and see what people think about things. If you've got 11 people crowded around one computer, then 10 of those people now can't really vote on the poll that you've put up. It also creates little subgroups within the whole group. Even if it's just two people crowded around a computer, they are now going to be having a separate interaction away from the whole rest of the group, and that puts a different dynamic, an unequal dynamic, into your meeting. So the law of one device is really essential. If you want to be able to have interactive, engaging, interesting meetings, do everything you can to level the playing field. Because what we're having to do here is we're having to help people to reclaim control over their own environment. I've got a two and a half year old here at home and she's running around, you know, she's learned to walk now and she's trying to master language and she gets really frustrated when she can't communicate and she just screams, kicks, and throws the, the terrible two tantrum. And that is her frustration at not being able to master the world around her. And the same thing is happening for us as adults when we arrive at a work meeting or a consultation meeting or whatever it might be and we don't know where to click, we don't know how to share our voice, we don't know when to speak, how to speak up, we're muted, we haven't got that basic control over our environment. Now I know sometimes it's just not possible. It might be normal to get everybody into the boardroom, crowd around the conference technology, and then have three or four other people coming in by Zoom. Or it might not be possible. You might be working with a community where people don't have devices that they can use. So it's an aspirational law, the law of one device. It's something to aim for to level that playing field as much as you can and allow people to take back some ownership and some control about how they communicate and participate in the meetings that you're facilitating. That's the law of one device. Let's pretend that you've got a meeting coming up, you've explained to everybody about the law of one device and everybody's tuned in, fantastic, they're all there. What do you do to facilitate a meeting that is interactive, that leaves people feeling motivated, that allows you to have the hard conversations you need to have, make the decisions that you need to have in that virtual environment. One of the temptations with working virtually is to get straight into the work because you're here, you're in front of your computer, you're used to doing the work, right? You're writing the document, you're checking your emails, you're responding to people, you're doing things, right? This is, this is the default way of being when you're sitting in front of your computer is to do stuff. 
So you get straight into the work. Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the meeting. First up on the agenda is reviewing our finances. So if everyone could please pull up the document and blah, 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 and you're off. And that's okay, you might think you're respecting people by getting straight into the work, but it can ignore some of the realities of what might be going on for people inside their brains and their bodies. I've learned a lot from a man called Mark Bowman. He's written a couple of books where he is taking the principles of evolutionary psychology and applying them to how we work with each other. What he explains is that in any situation where you're around people, your primitive brain is trying to place the people around you into one of four categories. The first of those is a friend. You might be looking around and going, great, I'm amongst friends here, I can relax, I feel trusted, I can trust other people. And that's that's where we want things to be, right? When we're facilitating meetings. The other thing that can happen is you're looking around and your primitive brain picks up an enemy, a potential predator or threat. And this might be triggered by a conversation that you've just had with your boss earlier about whether you're going to get the promotion and it wasn't a great chat. Or might be triggered by a previous meeting experience where somebody talked down at you. So that could be going on for people who are coming in. The third category that their primitive brain might be looking out for is, hmm, are there any mates here? And usually is not such uh, an issue in the workplace, but it certainly can be. And if your brain looks around and nobody really meets any of those three categories, then you just, you're indifferent. And this is what happens most of the time. You know, you walk down the street, your brain is continually scanning, trying to see are there any friends, enemies, potential mates. But of course, what happens with most people is you are indifferent to them. And you just keep walking. And if someone was to ask you, hey, did you see the person with the suit on and the green tie? You would have no memory of them. So that's what's happening when people walk into your meeting or when they tune in virtually. They're looking around and they are making subconscious assessments about is this the kind of meeting where I can be psychologically safe? Are there friends here? Are there potential threats? Or actually, am I just going to be indifferent and I'm going to tune out? And it's so easy with virtual meetings to tune out, to be checking your emails on the side, to be scrolling social media or doing some other kind of work while you're theoretically in the meeting. So the way to work with this of what's going on in people's heads is the first principle I'm going to introduce to you, which is the principle of first connect. And anybody who's spent any time in Te Ao Māori, in the Te Ao Māori worldview, will understand this. This is about whakawhanaungatanga, that word of whānau, which is in that principle of whakawhanaungatanga. Building relationships, understanding who's who in the Zoom room is crucial. And there are all sorts of ways you can do this. So it might be as simple as people renaming themselves so you actually know who's there. As answering a question in the chat about how their day's going. Or you might have a check-in where everybody has 30 seconds to share what's top of mind for them as they come into the virtual meeting or what they're hoping to get out of the meeting. Right, this stuff doesn't need to be complex, it doesn't need to be flashy, but something needs to happen at the start of every virtual meeting for people to feel more connected to each other, because that's what we're craving, and that's what a lot of virtual meetings are not delivering. I'd like you to think now about 
what the experience is like when you pull out your phone to check up on social media and how vibrant that is. Let's just take Facebook, right? And you're on the news feed, you're scrolling down, and sometimes you only look at things for a quarter of a second and you make a snap judgment. Is that interesting? Am I going to engage with it? No. Okay, I'm on to the next thing. What is it? And it's continually changing. There's videos, there's music, there's people commenting. It's vibrant, it's interesting, and everything is designed to hold your attention. Compare that then with when you log into a Zoom meeting, you come into the call and let's say there's 20 video tiles on the screen, 10 of them have their videos on, 10 of them have them off. You sit like that in your computer chair for an hour, two hours, three hours with no breaks and you wonder why at the end of it you're dead tired and disengage from the important work that you're doing. And that's why the second principle I want to talk with you about is the principle of contrast. Because we are used to having a lot of vibrancy in our virtual environments. You notice it now when you look back at an old movie, they seem so slow and dull. It's in black and white, and the dialogue, it seems quite stilted, the action is quite slow, but now the cameras are frequently changing. There's all sorts of interesting sound effects and music. And that's what we've come to expect for our interactions with computers. And when you turn up into a virtual meeting and that kind of vibrancy, that interest is not there, our brains go into that space of indifference that I was talking about before. Oh, and I'm going to check what's happening on social media. I'm three minutes into this meeting. It's going to be a bit slow and boring. So yeah, I might go see what's happening in my emails. Your mission as the facilitator of the meeting is to break that default pattern through the principle of contrast. And how do you do that? First, I would encourage you to think about how you present yourself on the video screen. And what a lot of people do is they get their laptop, it sits at their desk as it would normally do, and so you get this lovely view up people's nostrils, or they might have a window behind them, and as a result, their face is in complete darkness. So you might want to pop a box or a Tupperware underneath your laptop to bring the camera closer to your eye level. You might want to have some natural light shining at your face rather than behind your face. And that just means that people can see you. That's good. That's level one. If you want to take it to level two is think about your hands. Are you using your hands in front of the screen to actually bring some interest to what's going on? It feels weird to begin with, bringing your hands up to put them in front of your face, which is kind of what you need to do. But it does allow you to strengthen a point that you're making and to keep people's interest because, oh, wow, that video screen just changed. What's going on there? They're still watching you. Once you've taken a bit more control of how you're presenting yourself in front of the video screen, the next thing to look at is all the features that are already in the video platform that you're using. So if that's Microsoft Teams, Zoom, Google Meet, whatever, there are a bunch of interactive features in there. And before you go complicating things with some other feature to add into the mix, have a look at those and make the most of what is already there. So those platforms have 
polls. You can use the chat feature. You might want to share your screen with some images. You could share some music for when people are arriving at the start or put some music on in the background when people are doing an individual activity. There are all sorts of things you can do to bring a little bit more contrast. You might want to have some breaks. My rule of thumb is not to go more than 45 to 60 minutes without a break. So that is the principle of contrast, a real bare minimum principle to ensure that people's attention stays focused on the important work you are trying to lead. We're about halfway through this episode, and if you're thinking this has been great, I'd love to learn more. Remember, there's an ebook that you can download. Go to www.businesslab.co.nz and look at the tools section, and it's under there called Virtually Productive. So far, we've looked at the law of one device and two principles first, connect and contrast. Our third principle, which we're going to whiz through reasonably quickly, is the principle of providing structure for participation. What's important to bear in mind here is there is already a default structure for how people participate. And usually what happens, this is set unintentionally, accidentally, by whoever is facilitating the meeting in the first couple of minutes. The default is everybody is muted and there's one person talking at a time. And that, in some meetings, is just what goes on the entire time. That might be okay, or it might leave people feeling tired and struggling to actually share their voice and their wisdom with the rest of the group. So your job as a facilitator is to break that default pattern. And as I mentioned before, when I was talking about the principle of contrast, is there's a whole lot of stuff you can already use in your video calling software. Breakout groups are really valuable for providing a structure. So if you say, hey, great, we're going to pop people off into pairs, threes, fours, fives, whatever it might be, to do some work, and then come back and share in some way with the whole group. That can really help with giving people a structure to participate and to hear from more than just the loud people or the boss or whoever it might be who has the most power and the most dominance in the room already. There are also a lot of other tools that you can supplement or add into the video calling software that you're using. And I make some suggestions in the ebook about potential tools that you can use, some really good simple ones to start with, Google Jamboard or Microsoft Whiteboard, some more advanced ones, Miro, Mural, Group Map. And if you're wondering, oh yeah, well, which one's right for me and my situation, have a look in the ebook. That'll give you a little bit more to go on. So I'm going to leave that there for structures for participation. There's a lot more detail in the ebook, but safe to say, think carefully about how you can allow everybody to share their voice in the meeting in ways other than just speaking out and unmuting themselves, which can be quite intimidating for people. My first job out of university was working with the Ministry of Justice in central government. I was given a little bit of a hard time by my flatmates, who were both corporate lawyers, because I came home from the first week and I'd had a lot of time spent in meetings talking about meetings. 
Anybody who's worked in a large organization in any sector will know all about that, right? You've got your team meetings, your unit meetings, your group meetings, your one-to-one -one meetings, project meetings, status meetings, stand-ups, sit-downs, whatever. And according to a study that I've found from 2014, so, you know, it's way out of date now, but it found that the time spent in meetings had been rising by 8 to 10% every year from 2000 to 2014. That's a lot of meetings and I suspect that that has been exacerbated by our willingness in the last year or so and our need to use virtual meetings more because it's so easy now to set up a virtual meeting. You don't have to worry about what meeting room are we going to be in. You just click a button and you've got a virtual meeting room set up. We ran the numbers actually with one of our clients recently in the healthcare sector and realized that for their team of 15 people across the year they were spending about $450,000 in time in meetings. So that's okay as long as the meetings are effective, useful, valuable, productive. A culture that you might be battling against here is when things get hard we have a tendency to throw them into a meeting rather than doing the work ourselves or looking at creating a system or a structure that can overcome what we're finding difficult. So if we see a project and it's going a bit poorly, we think we need to have more regular meetings as a team. When maybe what you might need to do is look at what are some back-end systems that you can put in place so you don't need to meet as much, but your work is flowing better. We had a situation with a client recently where they were wanting to get more clarity on different items in a collaborative action. And they thought, okay, great, well, we want to facilitate a meeting and we were brought in to help with this. And the first thing I said to them was, I'm not sure that a meeting is the best way to do this. One, it's going to take a really long time. And two, for each individual action item, you probably only want it to talk to one or two people. So is there a better way that you can do that outside of the meeting room? This principle, less is more, applies in a couple of ways. First, and most obviously, is to meet less. So look at how you might be able to replace some meetings with a system or a tool that can do the hard work in the background. Or if you've still got to have your meetings, can you make them more strategic rather than operational, rather than, well, what work did you do? Oh, this is the work I've done. So that's the first aspect of less is more. The second aspect is include less in your meetings. I like to say that meetings are a little bit like washing machines. You know when you go and you, especially this happens here in New Zealand, we've got top-loading washing machines. And so the, you get tempted to just shove more and more and more in. And of course, all that happens is the sheets get caught up and the washing machine makes this big noise and you have to go and take some of the stuff out because it's gotten unbalanced. And that happens with our meetings as well. The more you stuff in, the less you'll actually get out of it. The temptation can be to add more and more and more to the agenda. That fluffy stuff of connecting, making sure people are comfortable, that they know how to participate, that's what ends up falling out of the meeting. So that's the second way that I apply less is more, is include less in your meetings. And then the third way is that as a facilitator, I'd like you to try and talk less and be a little bit more of a lazy facilitator. I learned that phrase from Leanne Hughes from the first time facilitator. A good example, 
you might be having a check-in circle at the start and often what a facilitator will do is they'll say, oh, thanks, Timothy, for sharing that. And Lisa, would you like to go next? Spend a lot of time, voice, energy facilitating that when you could be lazy about it and set the process up at the start. Okay, once you've spoken, then you choose somebody to go next. So that's our final principle for this episode on how to be more virtually productive, how to make your virtual meetings work. First, we looked at the law of one device, trying to level that playing field and ensure that you can actually use the interactive features that are at your fingertips. And then we covered four principles. First, connect. Build that psychological safety. Then, once you've built that, bring some contrast into the meeting. Mix things up. Keep people interested or they will fall into indifference. And then give them a structure for participating. Or the default is that they'll sit back and they'll wait for one person to talk at a time. And finally, less is more. Have fewer meetings, include less in the agenda, and talk less as a facilitator. So there's more space for others to step into and fill. Thank you for sticking with me to the end of the episode. If you've enjoyed this one, do go to our website, businesslab.co.nz, look at the tools section and download the Virtually Productive ebook. It goes into a lot more detail and provides some links for you to follow and learn more. We do run workshops on this stuff as well, helping people to facilitate virtual meetings that can create change outside the meeting room. It's something I'm really passionate about. I can't stand boring, dull meetings that leave people tired and drained and stop you from doing the important work that you're here to do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Consultation podcast. What did you learn from the show? What should we have talked about? Who else should I interview? I would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about what you heard today, everything from the show is at www.businesslab.co.nz slash podcast. If this episode has left you with a burning question, please feel free to submit a voice message through the link on our podcast page. We can then ask that question of a guest in a future episode. Or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and I can point you in the right direction. If you want to know when we release new episodes, make it easier for yourself and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Again, thank you for listening. Nga mihi mo te whakarongo.